Brandon, welcome to the platform. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me today. Nah, thank you for being here. Uh, I'm excited about this conversation. Um, I'm glad you found out about the platform. Yeah. From uh, our good friend Joseph. Um, and uh, this is this is gonna be something unique that we haven't talked about on this platform specifically mm -hmm. about disability justice, disability rights. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. Intersectionality. Just yeah. living access. Right. Um for our disabled community members. Right. Um, before we get into that, I want to get into like your personal Alabama, <laughs> <laughs> what motivated and inspired you um, to get into this work. And so let's, so let's start back at home for you in Alabama. Yeah. So I grew up in North Alabama, kind of right between Huntsville and Birmingham. Okay. So in uh, rural Blount County, okay. it is Blount, not Blount. <laughs> Some people get it wrong. Um, and you know, it's rural community, very religious oriented. Um, and it, it's very white. Okay. Right. So, um, <laughs> you know, and you know, that kind of creates a culture and, a uh, you know, a, a thought that people have about the way things should be. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I didn't really know anything beyond school, family, church. Okay. And, you know, that's how we saw the world. And then, um, you know, as I grew up and learned more through school and just having my own thoughts and, um, you know, I read a lot, I was like, you know, there is a world that's beyond this. Mm. There is um, a way of thinking that's beyond what I've known all my life. Right. And so I really tried to explore that. So what was that first moment? where you realize like, oh, I have a different perspective than probably people around me, including peers, family members, church members, whatever that may be. Well, I think one of the first things is that I recognized um, how women were treated differently mm. um, at church. Okay. And, you know, that was certainly um, a big deal for me. I thought, that's that's just not right. You right. Know, there just wasn't an equal... Um, ability to talk. Right. And so that doesn't work for me. And then, you know, I think also I recognized just how white we were. Mm -hmm. I had no people of color in the school I grew up in. Mm. And when we would, you know, play sports against, you know, other teams who did have um, black players or brown players or, you know, people who were different from us, you know, the invariable conversation was all about, you know, how different they were and, you know, racial slurs came out right. and like, that's not right either. Right. Um, and then also, you know, I'm gay. And so, uh, I also recognized at seven years old, which is the same age as my son, um, that I was very much, you know, attracted to other boys mm. and, um, and not necessarily knowing what to do with that. But I was like, right. that makes me different too. And so I just right. started having this, feeling inside of me of my world is going to be different than what I'm growing up with. Right. Now, when it comes to disability, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today, um, you know, my family has a genetic eye condition. It's called okay. retinitis pigmentosa. Okay. And, um, you know, it, uh, basically restricts our visual field. Okay. And so, um, you know, I have less than 10% peripheral vision. So, like, mm. if I put my hand over here, 
I can't see it. Wow. I can't see it until it gets about right there. Wow. And then same thing coming down and underneath. And so, you know, I stumble over stuff a lot. So a real blind side. <laughs> yeah, very blind side, right? Yeah. I would never need to be a quarterback right. uh, playing football because <laughs> I'd be Joe Theismann every single play uh, and I'd have a broken everything. But, um, you know, so I, um, you know, recognize early on too that that's what made me different. And um, I've never been able to look up and see the star field at mm. night, right? I have no concept of what that looks like other than what I've seen in pictures, but I've never seen it with my own eyes. Because wow. not only does it uh, change my peripheral vision, it also changes my ability to see um, in dark right. um, situations or at night. Wow. Um, I can't literally see the hand in front of my face. Wow. So you're um, definitely not a nocturnal person. I am not a nocturnal <laughs> person. Um, now, you give me some lighting uh -huh. and you give me um, somebody to hold on to and get some help from. Yeah. I'm good to go. Right. But without those things, I'm much more tentative. And, right. and there are some situations that I just don't engage in because of those limitations. Right. Um, so I had to deal with that growing up too. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't participate in certain things. Right. Um, or felt like I couldn't. Mm. Right. Um, you know, there was, you know, lots of situations where, um, you know, like Halloween, for example, we're coming up on that time of the year. And right. so, you know, it was, you know, a lot of things happen at dark, haunted houses, those kind of things. And I, I tried it and I just, felt awkward yeah. because the other thing I was taught and kind of the culture around me was that you can't show your weakness. Mm. Asking for help really is um, a sign that you can't make it right. in this world. And so not explicitly, but implicitly, mm -hmm. I was very much taught that um, you don't show too much of yourself. Right. So you either fake it till you make it or you just hang back and, don't participate. Right. So um, while I knew I was different in all those other ways we talked about, I also recognized I was different from a disability perspective, but I was much less vocal about that. It mm. wasn't until I was an adult that I really started to talk more about disability as part of who I am. When you did start to talk about, especially growing up in Alabama in the South when people are you just indoctrinated with the way of thinking, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you started, when you, when you, when you came out as gay specifically, mm -hmm. right? What were those conversations like? And, and, and I'm just, this is, this is, this is fascinating <laughs> to me at this point. I didn't know I was getting Wait this. Wait till we talk to about intersectionality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. Right, right. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, I pretty much told everybody, um, how old were you? At I was twenty four. You was twenty four. Okay, I, think I was twenty four. Okay, um, so early two thousands. Okay. Um, so um, for those of you who see me on camera, I'm <laughs> not as young as you think I look. Uh, no. Um, so I was about twenty four. Um, I'd come out to most everybody, okay. except for my parents. I okay. was living at home at the time. I, you know, done a lot of experimentation as most people do in college, right. and. Um, then I moved away after college and really started to come to terms with who I was um, and am and finally came out to myself and mm -hmm. then I started coming out to other people. I'd moved back home. Um, and so I had determined in my life that I was going to uh, wait until I moved out again before I 
came out to my parents and that didn't happen for a lot of different reasons. And when the moment came, I just kind of in, knew that this was the time it was going to happen. Right. And, um, needless to say, um, it wasn't, it didn't feel good. It wasn't pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of yelling, a lot of misunderstanding. Um, I think a lot of grief that was happening of, with my parents right. of you're not the son we thought you were going to be or are right. or whatever. Um, frankly, my mother was convinced I was um, a drug user. And wow. I think she probably would have rather I'd been a drug user uh, at the time um, because I think she saw that as a fixable situation. Right. Whereas being gay, you know, wasn't necessarily. Right. And so, um, but I, I will give credit to my parents. They didn't understand mm-hmm. they didn't um necessarily know what to do with it right but they were very uh, supportive of me as their son okay. they never lost that unconditional love that parents have for their kids okay and i'm very thankful for that because right. i know so many people right that didn't have that right uh and it took a long time uh to you know um evolve into a place where they were more accepting mm-hmm. um my, uh, so I came to Nashville and went to grad school and at Vanderbilt and, um, met who later became my husband. And, you know, even that was a transition of like, okay, well he's gay, but then he's not involved with anybody. And then it was, oh, he's involved with somebody. Right. And so, um, you know, that was a thing we had to get through as a family. And then, so it, um, you know, but my almost or would be husband um we were together for 13 years Mm -hmm. and so it was a you know a a growing experience for all of us and then by the time we broke up 13 years later um and after having a son together and all those kind of things it was um very much um like he was part of our family he was seen as another son to my parents right uh and so it was you know devastating for all of us when that relationship broke up but what did you learn the most about like human beings, like people? Like, what did you take away from, from, from coming out to your community, and, and just you being able to be your complete self internally, anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but externally, like, what, what did you see change within people once they knew you were gay? Um, did you lose people? Find new people? What, what was that? transition and evolution for yourself like yeah so um there were some people who i did lose as friends people mm-hmm. from high school um actually my best friend from high school um mm. has not spoken to me in 20 years wow. after i came out um and while that hurt i think one of the things that i've learned about people um is that people get to make their own choices mm-hmm. about their own life right. and uh, what they choose to engage in and not. Right. And even though that choice is hurtful mm-hmm. in a lot of ways to other people, it may be self-centered, it may be um, short-sighted in a lot of ways, people get to make their own choices and uh, the same way I do. Right. And so I, you know, you know, my, my philosophy is, is that as long as you're not being uh, explicitly or implicitly hurtful to other people and you respect other people's humanity, mm-hmm. I can kind of go with the choices you offer okay. uh, to the world. 
Um, now, when you get into that territory of not accepting other people's humanity right. or um, seeing people as being, you know, inferior in right. some kind of way just because of whatever situation, right? then I get a little uh, or a lot more um, uh, testy. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like... Yeah, I mean, I'm a human like you're a human. Right. It's the whole thing about I put my pants on the way you put your pants on. Yeah. You know, and so it's, um, I try to live that philosophy as best I can, and so that's the one thing I learned about people. Right. That's that's a good philosophy. That's one I think I think we have like similarities, because I personally would rather like to know if you don't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Long as if, long as that dislike doesn't lead to like discriminatory yeah. oppression, inferior thinking, or feel like, hey, you don't have to do certain things, or I can't be treated in an equal and equitable way mm-hmm. because of like I'm short, or I'm tall, or I'm black, or I'm white, or I have short hair, long hair, I smoke cigarettes, I don't, you know, I identify as a man, or whatever it may be. I think I I think that's for me too. That's why I was like, yeah, okay, it's okay, you don't like me, that's fine. But, you know, if I deserve this job, give me the job. Right, <laughs> you right. Know, type of but thing. But see me as a person. Right, right? exactly. You know? Um, exactly. And that I think that's what matters. And, right. you know, I think, you know, I have a t-shirt that I wear a lot um, that says, be kind. Okay. That's the, you know, rule number one at our house mm-hmm. um, that I talk with my son about all the time is, like, be kind. Right. When you, you know, there's also a song about that. When there's nothing else we can do in the world, be kind. you know, let's be kind. Mm-hmm. Um, because that encompasses so much of, you know, what we can do in the world and who we can be in the world Right. is, um, you know, we talk about listening all the time. We talk about helping all the time and we talk about, um, you know, being active and having a voice. Right. But what it boils down to from my perspective is that that's, um, that those are kind of, uh, outgrowths of kindness right so if you can be kind you can be those other things too now kind of pivoting into the disability space yeah how did you get involved into that um and just what people know brandon is the executive director for empower tennessee which we're gonna get into shortly but how did you find yourself um being motivated and inspired to kind of lean into that because you could i'm not saying that you don't but you could have easily leaned into, you know, the gay community, you know, gay rights and those things, too. But you found yourself leaning more and working directly with um, folks that are disabled. Yeah. And I came later to that, too. Okay. Right. Um, I think because of that um, hiding, mm-hmm. like I, I hid more of my disability than I did my sexuality right. for a long time. And again, again, because it was that um, explicit and implicit, like. Don't show your weakness. Don't show your weakness. Right. Right. Disability is weakness was kind of one of those myths, which right. I, I think we're going to talk about too is, um, <clears throat> so don't, you know, don't show that. And so, um, but I, so my bachelor's degree is in education. So I, um, wanted to be a school teacher from the time I was in kindergarten. <laughs> like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I was determined all the way through elementary school and high school, like I'm going to be a teacher mm-hmm. and, uh, I was going to be, you know, um, a band director for, um, all the way through high school. That's what I wanted to do. So I graduate from high school, I go to college and, um, you know, I move in, I went to, um, or I started at the university of Southern Mississippi 
and it was like seven hours away from home. And uh, but I was determined this is what I was going to do. I made it through three days of band camp, and then I, w- I was calling my parents like, "Come get me." Um, this like, is not for this me. This is not for me. I'm seven hours away from home. I am with, you know, all these people I do not know. And this is just... not American Pie band camp. <laughs> this is not. No, no, it was not that band camp. I think if I'd stayed longer, it might have become that. But um, you know, th- it was not that at all. Um, so we, you know, I make it back home. Then I'm trying to figure out what I want to do then. But I'm still determined. Like I'm going to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. My second love was um, history, civics, um, uh, government, things like that. So I went and uh, got a social studies and uh, social science degree, and uh, from the University of North Alabama. Okay. Closer to home, smaller campus. Um, and so I did that and, um, you know, got a teaching degree and went into teaching. And that's how I um, moved out of um, Alabama for the first time, moved to Georgia. And, um, yeah, I taught for half a year. I was a mid-year, subs- or mid-year replacement. Okay. And I uh, had a culture shock. Not only was I living away from home mm-hmm. again, um, but, again, growing up in a pretty white community. Right. Um the school that I started teaching at not only had about, you know, 2,500, 3,000 students. Wow. So it was really that's a, big. That's a huge By the school. way, I, I graduated uh, my high school with a class of 66. Yeah. So big culture change in terms of, of that. Right. But it was also like 60, 70% black. Okay. So, again, it, it was not necessarily a thing of just like, this is um, a bad thing. It's just right. more of like, this is not what I'm used to. Right. And so that was, it was basically just not a good experience. So what did you learn from that experience? Like, and, and what did you learn about yourself? Right. Um, well, frankly, that I wasn't meant to be a teacher. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's the, um, the frank answer is that, um, I think I was into teaching because I liked what I liked. Right. You know, I was like, I'm definitely into history. I'm definitely into all these aspects mm-hmm. of, um, you know, learning, and I expected all my students to like it as much as I did, right. which was obviously a quite naive mm-hmm. <laughs> proposition. Um, and then I also learned just how young I was yeah. and had been pretty sheltered right. through my life. Uh, I was also coming to terms with, you know, my sexuality at the same time, and right. so that was a bit of a struggle as well. And so, um, yeah, that just didn't last very long. I know you mentioned... Like on several occasions, is how like your environment was just so white. Yeah, <laughs> you grew yeah. up in. I, yeah. Like, how did you respond or take to being more around people of color, specifically probably black folks, brown mm-hmm. folks? Um, what did you learn about yourself? Did, what like did you realize maybe you had some implicit biases, uh, some things that some stereotypes that you might have carried didn't know they was there subconsciously? What was that growth like? Yeah, so, um, you know, I was, I, I know this sounds weird, I was kind of excited to be around people mm-hmm. of color, um, because I didn't, <clears throat> I just didn't have that growing up, right. and so it was kind of exciting to me to have people that I would connect with in college, or when I was teaching, or things like that. Um, I had no concept of, you know, um, implicit bias or white privilege or mm-hmm. white fragility or any of those kind of things. That just never occurred to me. I just knew that, um, you know, we historically and currently discriminated against people. 
and um, that that was unfair and um, it shouldn't be happening. But I really wasn't, I didn't see the uh, broader or deeper picture. Right. And so I was one of those, you know, good meaning white people that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) is like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. But, you know, I probably still uh, said and did pretty racist things without knowing it. Right, right, right. And so... You know, I, I I really didn't start to realize that until again much much later. Much much later, yeah. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, I mean, I I recognize, and even today, I, I think I'm much more in tune right. with the things that I, um, you know, think and say, and I you know try to recognize that the world is not the way I was brought up, or even the way I thought about myself or the world 20 years ago or even mm-hmm. 15 years ago. And so I appreciate the learning that I've done, yeah. uh, the things that I've been taught by other people. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I appreciate, you know, just having that experience, but, you know, I think that, you know, growth is amazing. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, um, and I think we all need to do it and we need to be we seeking it out. Yeah, yeah. Intentional. Intentional about yeah. growth because stagnation is not, I mean, literally not going to get you anywhere. Right. Right. And if we think that we've got it figured out or we think we know everything, even if we're a mm-hmm. quote unquote expert about something. Right. No. I mean, that's a lie. But, but you know, um, I, I think the biggest part of your journey that, I, that that aided you in doing that is like leaving that environment that you was in, right? Yeah. Because it's really easy for us to get like get comfortable and just just stuck in our own community bubbles, right? Where most people think like we think, mm-hmm. uh, things are easy. It's no really challenge or pushback on the way things are, right? Yeah. And then, but once you leave that, and if you're open to being challenged a little bit or seeing new things or being around uh, people that you're not usually around or have no proximity to at all in your um, in your uh, initial growing up community, like I think that promotes growth if you allow it. Well, um, right, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean, I think growth is often born out of discomfort, yeah. right? And and you have to be willing to to step into that, mm-hmm. right? Because, um, you know, so many people avoid that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I, don't, I can't do that. So let me seek out comfortability. Right. And then comfortability kind of keeps you stuck. Yeah. And, um, and nobody necessarily likes discomfort. Right. You know, uh, but it's the way we grow. It's the way we change. It's yeah. the way we um, see new perspectives and, um, you know, understand that we don't have it all figured out right. and you know i like that kind of stuff too i mean again i don't seek out discomfort right but what i do seek out is growth and change yeah. and um you know and i've been through a lot of discomfort yeah. because of that yeah i think <clears throat> I, I seek out a little bit of like like how can i like mental discomfort like something that's gonna like maybe like challenge me or make me feel like oh should i do i really want to ask that question or go into that or am i am i afraid of the response that i might get or is it just uncomfortable or or this or with this question i may ask or conversation i might have just be very discomforting and, and like intense in a good way but it's just and I, so I tend to want to lean into those conversations because the more we talk about them, the less discomforting they become. Right. 
And then I think we open up doors and avenues for other people um, to talk about them as well. And that's why I'm so excited like about what you do, but also how it could possibly open up doors for people to also just listening and watching and start thinking about what disability justice and rights are, um, especially if you don't have a, a disability yourself. You're probably right. not even think you're probably not even thinking about it. And so hopefully this conversation does that. Um, even if it's a little discomforting. For yeah, us. I hope so. Um, because you know, um, I think that's part of the the uh, the work and the experience that we have as people right. with disabilities is <clears throat> people know we exist, but don't know we exist. Right. Right. And so. Um, you know, there's that lack of respect mm-hmm. uh, and recognition yeah. that often comes with um, that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's and it's frustrating, frankly. Right. You know, and I, and I think that, I mean, I obviously can only speak from my own perspective. Um, but, you know, same thing with being gay, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in the LGBTQ community of like, we just want to be seen as other human beings. We want to be right. recognized for who we are. Right. Right. But we also want to be recognized as somebody who has our own experience, our own feelings, our own right. desires, um, our own voice. Right. <clears throat> and the right to exist the way we want to exist. Right. And so it's the same thing about having a disability. Right. right. So many people see disability as a weakness, mm-hmm. as something that is put aside or put away. It's an right. afterthought in our right. society so many times. Right. Um, but people with disability um, make up the largest marginalized community in the world. Mm. And I think people don't get that. Yeah. Because we intersect with every other population right. around the world. Right. So when we talk about you know intersectionality, <clears throat> you think about um, you know people who are have a disability, mm-hmm. but who may also be black, right. who may be a woman, right. who may be gay, right. who may be, you know, is homeless, right? right, and Who may be a refugee, right. I mean, who don't speak English. I mean, yeah. so you can think about all the different marginalized communities that exist. And then put disability on top. And you top put disability on top of that. Yeah. And so you're hitting all of those um, societal... Um, markers of difference mm-hmm. that just deepen that sense of trauma, right. that sense of um, being an outsider, right. that sense of, you know, the world doesn't see me, care about me, pay attention to me. Right. Um, and so that's why I like having these kind of conversations yeah. because it brings to light that disability um, is part of the human condition, mm-hmm. right? It is um, something that you can both see and not see. Right. Right. I have three types of disabilities, none of which you can really see. Right. Right. And so, you know, we think about disability and we think about people who are wheelchair users or we think about people who are blind or uh, deaf or amputees. People who have amputations or things like that, you know. And so that's what we think about as a physical, um, you know, noticeable disability, as it were. But the vast majority of people with a disability um, have invisible um, disabled uh, uh, disabilities. And so, um, and that's, again, not recognized. You know, right. Of course, so many people think about autism 
um, because, you know, the unvaried amounts of people who say, oh, I have, my brother is autistic or my cousin is autistic. I mean, right. that's the other side of, you know, how people <laughs> understand disability or think about it in our right. community is that, oh, well, I have another, you know, a family member right. who is that. Um, and so there's this sense of I know because. Right. Um, but the thing is, is that it's about what, the person with a disability thinks and mm. feels and sees and right. experiences. Um, and that's part of the work that we're involved in. Right. <clears throat> is people with disabilities um, have the same rights as everybody else to speak right. for themselves. <clears throat> right. Even if you're nonverbal, there's usually a way in which you communicate. Right. And so why not let people with disabilities have their own voice the way you do? You know, that's, it's so important. Disability rights versus disability justice. Mm -hmm. I was doing my research and this, 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 this is a difference. And so can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that, that, that difference between somebody says I, I want disability rights and then somebody that says I want disability justice. Yeah. And I think there is a, a important distinction there, right? <clears throat> right. So rights is very much uh, built into, you know, a legal sense of, you know, a constitutional sense of um, our society, right? And so, you know, we think about uh, what I have access to legally, the same way people who uh, don't have a disability have access to. So that may be you know, the way we rode up in an elevator today, right? right? And if I was a person who um, was a wheelchair user, right, how would I do that otherwise to right. be on whatever floor we're on the, you know? And so if there was just stairs, then I couldn't participate. I couldn't do, right? right? And so from a legal standpoint, I had the same right to access what everybody else does, okay. right? Having the same, um, you know, rights to an education, right? Being able to go to public schools, at every level and, right. and be given accommodation to do that. So that's, that's rights, right? Okay. Um, the things that we are entitled to as Americans, as human beings, right? Justice is much more based in, you know, a socioeconomic okay. um, standpoint, right? And, um, you know, I think uh, we, we talk a lot about um, ableism, Right. right, which is just as real and just as prevalent as racism, misogyny, um, and other types of you know discrimination right. and um, you know seeing people as other. Right, and so if you look around um, our community, even just here in Nashville, mm -hmm. right, um, you can see the way our um, society is built on an ableist um, point of view, right? Right. So, um, and that again, disability is seen as an afterthought, right? Right. <clears throat> and but then you also kind of pull in those aspects of intersectionality, right? right? So, you know, if a person, so not only is the world built on an ableist model, it's built on a racist model right. and a misogynistic model. Right. Um, and so when we talk about justice, 
we're talking about <clears throat> the level of visibility, mm. the level of respect, mm. the level of, um, you know, inclusion right. and choice right. um, that we don't experience. Right. And so, um, again, not to over-equate uh, or, um, you know, appropriate other people's uh, movements, mm. but it it is akin right. to so many of the other justice work that's happening in our community. Why do you feel that the disability part of those intersexualities don't, does are not like at the forefront, right? When we think about like people that are unhoused or um, sexuality rights or like, you know, people of color, all these things, right? Um, why don't disability justice is right? Reproductive justice, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. Why is disability justice and rights right not up there in the forefront and not being talked about as much? You know, I I ask myself that question all the time. Um, like, what is it about us? <laughs> <laughs> what did we do to deserve this? You right. know, lack of recognition. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think because we, as people with disabilities, and I'm talking about a a broader community, right. we were put away mm. for generations, mm. right? And, and and when I say put away, literally, like mm. we were put in institutions um, and forgotten mm. by society, by families. Um, and so, and we're also seen um, by a lot of people in society, again, traditionally as... Mm. Um, consumers of resources, right, and that we have no real capacity to contribute, mm. right. People yeah. with disability can't work, right. People with disabilities, you know, um, they they just live off government benefits. Right. Just need assistance, and they just and they need assistance, and yeah. we don't have we ain't got time for that, right. basically, right. And um, you need to, too needy, you need too right. much, right. And so I think that's part of the ingredients here right. of um, not being a not being seen right. uh, the way others are. But again, if you go back to what I said before, of you know, we also intersect in those other areas. Right. And so, and, and so you think about you know a, a black woman on who is you know lesbian and. Um, maybe came here from Africa, right. and you know, as as an um, uh, a refugee, maybe, and but then also blind. Right. Well, she may be seen as you know worthy of resources right. for so many of those other um, uh, marginalized identities. Mm -hmm. The disability will usually come last. Mm. Um, because our society's just not built for it. Well, what, you know, we, we hear, well, what do I do with a blind person? How do I help them? Right. What do I do with a person who, you know, um, uh, you know, is nonverbal? Oh right. my gosh, how do I have a conversation with them? Right. And so, because you can handle refugee, you can handle black, you can handle lesbian, you can handle woman, right? Those are seen as, manageable right. right we can understand those more right not that we really do all the time but i'm just saying 
and comparatively. Disability is something that people just don't have as part of what they think about. And I've always said this, and I'm and I'm in the practice of this now, learning American Sign Language. Oh, I just think it's something that should be taught in school. Yeah. Like, because even, even if you're in a situation where you must be quiet because of danger, like American Sign Language <laughs> could 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 help, could aid you, right? Absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely. I I mean, at the very least, I think that it should be. Uh, I think basic. Sign language right. should be a good thing. I think certainly offering it as an elective. Uh, but we, we have Spanish, yeah. we have French, we have all these things in yeah. like, you know, middle high school. But I but American Sign Language in public schools that I know of has not been like offered. No, no. Yeah. It's, again, <laughs> yeah. why would we do that? There aren't that many deaf yeah. people in the world. We're never going to, you know, encounter them. Right. And if we have to, you know, we'll uh, well, figure it out. Well, you know, something that blew my mind. And like, and I was like, this is what made me realize, like, oh, I have to, like, I have to get my American Sign Language down because it's really, it just took me off guard. Mm. I was at Chick Fil A, in what Chick Fil A was I was at Hermitage, mm-hmm. and I was getting a beverage. Getting, I was getting a meal. And I was getting a beverage, and one of the um, staff members there was uh, deaf, mm-hmm. and it totally just, I, I just didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was talking to him and like, like I forgot how he kind of let me know, like, Oh, like I, I can't verbally like communicate right. with you, but I was like, Oh snap. And I was like, like, and I was trying to think like, <laughs> I was trying to think of like, what, like, like just beverage, you know, yeah. I, mean, I was, I was speaking too. Cause I know, you know, right. many of them can, yeah. you know, read lips, right. but I was trying to, um, use hands and stuff. And I just said things like, I was so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I was really embarrassed. I was like, "Wow, the fact that like I can't I just me just expecting that everybody that I come in contact with is going to be able to verbally communicate with me made me feel so ashamed at that moment." Sure, yeah, and and you know it kind of goes back to what we were talking about those that uncomfortability yeah. that leads to growth, right? right? And so I think that was one of those moments for you, yeah. Right? I and like, um, I was like, "Damn, yeah, absolutely." <laughs> and I think that's part of the 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 experience, mm-hmm. right? Is that people don't expect, yeah. You don't expect, and the, I mean, I'm not sitting here as being, you know, um, the perfect person who you know recognizes everything about what's possible in the disability world, and uh, that I don't, you know, get it wrong sometimes because right. I do, right? Um, and we all will, right? Right, and so you learn through the experience. Right. Um, but I think that kind of goes back to the idea that you know you said you didn't expect. Yeah, I didn't. And I I think that's the vast um, way of thinking for most yeah. Americans, Western culture, right. um, is that we don't expect people with disabilities to be in our spaces. No, like and and think we have signals around us all the time, right? Handicap accessible parking, mm-hmm. um, the handrails in the bathrooms. You know, um, you gotta have the, your your doors gotta be a certain square. Like we have all these things right. in place, but like like it just we just don't notice them because the proximity. We either we don't have a disability or our proximity to that community is just non-existence. Right. So we just go through life like oh everybody is just you know like us you know uh, right. possibly, and it's just. Ah, and it, but I just remember that moment, and I was like, like, 
Like, <laughs> like, why yeah. do I feel like why do I feel? Why I shouldn't feel one? I shouldn't feel embarrassed, but two, I shouldn't just like I shouldn't automatically just think like every person I encounter is gonna be able to have the same tools or whatever that I have yeah. to communicate, um, to to mobilize or whatever way they may. Um, and it just really just it just really made me think more about it. What can I do? Uh, right. And that's all. And, and and also like how. And I want to throw this question out to you: How can the non-disabled community um, be in community with the disabled community with integrity, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, not assuming that hey, let me get this for you. I'll have to do that for you. Um, what does that look like? What do those tools look like? Um, for us to be able to, when I say us, the non-disabled community, to be able to like just have a wholesome relationship with the, with a disabled person or with our disabled community, and know kind of the things to 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 look for yeah. or to ask or how to ask mm-hmm. in the most appropriate way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. So I think the best way to start is you assume confidence, okay, in people. Right, and so you see someone who's a wheelchair user, you know, um, coming into your building or, you know, at the restaurant or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, you know, not seeing them as someone who immediately needs help. Mm-hmm. So, um, because we need help, you know, you know, people who right. are non wheelchair users, right, right. We need help with things too, and people right. aren't rushing to our aid right. all the time. Right. So, assuming confidence in people, I think, is a really you know fundamental place to start. You also have to recognize that people with disabilities have a responsibility right. to like everybody else right. to ask for what they need. Right. And so, um, you know, if I um, you know, as a person who has a visual disability, um, you know, need someone in a dark situation to help me get down steps. Right. Right. I'd be like, hey, drone, can you, can I take your arm so that, um, you know, I don't fall down these steps. (laughs) Right. Right. Because let me tell you, it happens. (laughs) Um, So, um, yeah. So I have a responsibility to ask for what I need. Right. So, um but the other side of that is, and you asked about, you know, how do you ask a person if they need something? The same way you'd ask anybody else. Okay. And I think that's, again, part of the point. Yeah. We're not different than everybody right. else. Right. Yeah. We just experience the world in right. a slightly different way. Um, and, and we talk about how different is good. Mm-hmm. Right? Disability is, again, not something to be ashamed of. It's right. not something that we really should be hiding. There, mm-hmm. There's a sense of pride that can come with right. having a disability because, again, it's part of who I am. Right. Uh, it's part of how I experience the world. Right. Um, I don't need to be cured right. from what I experienced, how I experience the world. Mm-hmm. But so much of society is built on that idea of incompetence. Right. Um, you know, do-gooder syndrome mm-hmm. of, oh, let me help you and I'll feel good about myself. Right. Um, and you know, that, um, we just need to find a way to see people who, as they are and let, let them 
Let like, them be themselves. I want to throw this at you because I think a lot of these things come from what we see. Yeah. Propaganda, TV shows, movies. Oh, yeah. Um, all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot what it is coined and what it is called. I, and it's a and it's, and it's a movement I know, but I can't remember the name. But it's uh, it's where it's there's a character playing in a movie or show or something, and they have some type of physical disability, mm-hmm. and persons with that physical disability usually end up as like a villain or or oh, yeah. um or 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 like kind of cast typed in a certain role and that a disability is attached to that role um i think a lot of those things because we see it a lot it's like oh okay so like somebody is with this disability is always this way therefore subconsciously maybe when i see somebody in real actual life that maybe have that same physical disability, my mind automatically goes to he or she is this type of person. Right. How can, how can, how has, and how can, I should ask, how can propaganda, entertainment, media, uh, promote better healthy education and learning about our disabled community? And how hasn't it? (laughs) Well, Right? (laughs) Well, I think how hasn't it is that, um, you know, like so many other things, it's tokenism, right? right? We'll we'll throw a uh, a disabled character in mm-hmm. the mix just so that we can say we did, right? Um, and so that's part of it. Right. And um, was it? I'm trying to remember. Was it the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> that had a, a character that was in a wheelchair? Uh, your audience may know this, and so they'll send us some uh, yes. comments or whatever. But I'm trying to remember. Um, I mean, long years ago. Uh, but I think they were in that. Um, but I don't know this for sure. But I would almost guarantee he was not actually a wheelchair user. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so that's the other part of it, is that number one, not being represented at all or right. very little as a token. But the other side of it too is that oftentimes you have people without disabilities playing people with disabilities. Right. Right. Because there may be a level of assuming incompetence. Mm -hmm. Um, You may have to make an accommodation. Right. Right. Um, And that, you know, it's just not possible. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, you have to be equal to equal. Right. Right. Because you have, um, you know, women playing men and men playing women and um, gay characters playing straight characters and vice versa. I mean, so I'm not saying that it has to happen all the time, but it certainly needs to happen a lot more. Right. Where people with disabilities are seen as uh, capable and um, good actors. And so I think we need to be better at that. Um, I think the also thing is, you know, stereotypes are real in the sense of like we play to stereotypes. Right. Um, And, you know, as you were talking about, well, you know, we kind of, you know, have been taught through media that this is how a person with cerebral palsy acts and mm-hmm. that's how it's going to be, right. right? And that's so every person with cerebral palsy, uh, we should experience this way. Or every person who is blind, we see as this thing. Right. Well, you know, forgive me for saying this, but I mean, it's it that's tantamount to saying all black people look the same to me. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to get out of that idea that um, all um, parts of a particular population 
experience the world in exactly the same mm. way because mm. it's so not true. That's right. not true of any population. Right. Um, and so, again, I think people with disabilities have been traditionally, historically, societally, everything you can think of to put on top of that, um, um, forgotten, disrespected, marginalized. <clears throat> um, and I think that's the the fundamental fight we have today. Another thing that we see a lot of times in these films and these movies is like independent living experiences, mm. right? Which I really want you to d- dive into. Yeah. We see, you know, parents getting older or you have a family member or even a, a child or something like, hey, you know, it's something I can't handle. Um, let me put him or her in this you know, uh, independent living home or facility or this, I just don't want to deal with it. Right. Um, and a lot of times, even in those facilities, it might be portrayed that they're not taking care of the, 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 the community that's in there or whatever it may be. Um, and just the idea of even getting a loved one to somebody that might have a disability to, uh, to, to a face, to a part where they can be, independent in their living in general right right um sometimes this this goes over our head like oh they always have to have support to help right. or whatever um talk to us a little bit about that independent living experience and like even what you know empower tennessee does yeah so it's really interesting so you know i think you talk about independent living mostly in that um as a lowercase i lowercase l right <clears throat> and so we think about independent living as a um, a thing, right. right? So you're living um, either on your own, and I think some of the things that you were talking about are very cl- akin to assisted living, right. you know, um, which is tantamount to nursing home care, <laughs> frankly. Right. Um, but the thing is, is um, you know, independent living, the way we practice it is a philosophy that is capital I, capital L. Okay. Right. Um, and it was born out of, um, you know, a belief and a movement of the late 60s, early 70s um, that kind of came out of deinstitutionalization. People who were in nursing facilities and had been locked away mm. just because they had disability mm. um, being like, no, that's not how I want to live. Right. I have the right to live the way I want to live and, and make my own choices. Mm. And so... Um, there's, a, you know, kind of the father of the independent living movement, um, you know, was in California. Um, he um, had polio as a young person, um, and it progressed into the point where he basically lived his life in an iron lung. Right. Um, and he was like, but I want to go to college. Right. And so everybody was like, no, you can't go to college. Right. You're in an iron lung. I mean, that, that was we can't do that. Right. And this is uh, University of California, Berkeley, I believe. And um, and so he pushed for his rights, and they finally admitted him, and um, and he got a degree. And but then he met other uh, young people with disabilities mm-hmm. in that community who were going through similar experiences and that people with all types of disabilities. Right. Right. And so, um, together they formed the first center for independent living, which still exists. It's called the SIL. So C I L. 
Um, and it still exists in Berkeley today. And I think they're celebrating like their 50th anniversary this wow. year. Wow. And, um, and so it was built on this philosophy that people with disabilities are the best voices for their own needs. Right. Yeah. Like everybody else. Like everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And that um, we have the right to be um, and deserve to be included right. in conversations that are about us mm-hmm. um, and benefit our lives. Right. So the all the whole nothing about us without us kind of mantra. Right. Um, and that there are some fundamental um, services that mm-hmm. kind of come along with that. And so, you know, uh, at Empower Tennessee, we practice those services and that independent living philosophy of, you know, we want to make sure that people get the, you know, access to the in- information and resources right. that are available to them, right. right? So where can I find this? Where right. can I go for that, right? And the other piece of that is also... Um, peer support, right? Mm-hmm. So having other people with disabilities who've experienced the world right. um, in a way that it, they get what it means to be discriminated against. They get what it means to live in an ableist society. Right. They get what it means to struggle with other intersectionalities, right? right? So facilitating opportunities for people to come together and talk about those mm-hmm. and you know, like at Empower Tennessee, we have, you know, a group that's dedicated to, you know, people who are, who identify as male um, and have a disability, same for people who identify as female. Um, so they talk about a lot of different things right. uh, that are appropriate to their experiences, right? Right. We also have one for uh, blind and low vision people. Right. We have one that's just focused to aspects around employment and housing right. issues. And so... Mm. Um, um, and we're about to start some... Um, kind of a, uh, emotional support um, right. groups as well. and But they're peer-driven. Right. Right? So it's about, <laughs> we provide the opportunity, you know, the space, the, right. um, you know, all the things that you need to set up for, like Zoom meetings right. and all this other kind of stuff and right. whatnot. But the people of the group are facilitating the group. Right. right? They're leading it. And leading it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. figuring out what the conversations are going to be right. and, and have and pe- keeping people connected. Right. Um, and then you can form individual relationships based on that. And so that's, you know, part of why peer support's important. The other thing is about advocacy. People with disabilities, you know, finding their own voice, using their own voice, mm-hmm. um, and talking about what they need for their individual life, right. whether it's with their family, their friends, their job, their school, their grocery store, right. you know, wherever it is that right. they were like, this is what I need. And this is what I kind of want you to help do that. The other side of that is also collectively coming together to talk about policy issues right. that affect people with disabilities. You know, in Nashville a few years ago, we had the uh, micro mobility scooter issue. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so there was a lot of people with disabilities, particularly people who were blind and low vision, mm-hmm. um, who were deeply concerned about the way, you know, number one, that we had a lot of them when right. they first came around and that they were just being haphazardly. Just put you know, anywhere. Just put anywhere. Still. It was still, that's true. I, I've <laughs> yeah. noticed that it's not quite as bad as it was. Yeah. Um, but it was tremendously uh, problematic in the early days. No, what's crazy is. I would have never thought about that. <laughs> it just, but somebody that maybe uh, has maybe blind yeah. and then knows their steps, and you're not expecting a, a th- four or five rows of scooters to be there. That's 
That's right. Wow. That's right. And so, you know, we went wow. and advocated with a lot of different policy, you know, makers and, um, <clears throat> uh, and with, we had meetings with, um, a lot of the, um, uh, the scooter companies themselves. Right. Some were open, some were not. Um, but the, those who were, we had a really good deep dish conversation with them about how can you see right. this experience and make changes for that experience. So would it be fair to say myself is not being like disabled, be have privilege, a privilege that, mm -hmm. you know, how could I, how could myself and others use that privilege that we have to build solidarity, but also um, use that privilege to amplify disabled voices and give and say, hey, I'm not disabled, but I know somebody who is. And since you listen to me, I want you to listen to them because they, they're the best ones to tell you what is happening and what they need access to. How, what, what is the best way to do that? Yeah. So number one, I think um, kind of opening your mind and experience to when you experience places you go and things that you do. Like, right. Could a person who was in a wheelchair do this? Hmm. Could a person who was blind do this? Right. Could a person who is like has sensory issues, like right. loud sounds, flashing lights, all that kind of stuff, could they do this without being like, like you know, for people with a wheelchair, like, is there a step into a business? Right. Well, that's not going to work. Right. Right. If um, or you go into a business and like things are all crowded together, like right. they're not going to be able to navigate that well. Right. Um. So thinking about it from a broad perspective, like, is this? With this is this accessible basically right. have you done that have you went into restaurants oh or businesses gosh. and just been eating and say hey um just so you know Every, you know like i i kind of live the world in which i'm like oh that doesn't work you know and then i'll usually you know i'll make mention to it to a server right or, you know if i see somebody or whatever right um or sometimes you know i'll get back to the office you know uh, and be like it. if i can find an email or whatever right. i'll be like you know, and this isn't, so a lot of people think about, um, you know, are always afraid if we contact them that we're somehow the disability police <laughs> and that we're out to, you know, right. you know, um, get, get them into a lawsuit or anything right. like that. And that is so not what we do. Right. We're about education and right. advocacy, right? Um, when it comes to businesses in general, and that goes for all types of businesses, accessibility is good business right because the more people that you can have in your space mm -hmm. or part of um your clientele right the more money you're going to get right <laughs> and the more you're going to um prosper from right. that experience and the other side of that too is it's almost unpaid advertising as well because people with disabilities when they have a good accessibility experience right they tell their friends and so, you know, I think that it's really important that uh, there be that recognition. Right. But also, you know, if you're in spaces where, you know, you may be a member of a board, you may be on a committee, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, planning something. And, you know, even if it does or doesn't come up about, you know, people with disabilities and how, you know, they fit into all this. Yeah. It's, oh, <clears throat> Yeah, maybe we should have somebody who, who does that. Yeah. And not again as a token, not right. again as an afterthought, but right. also like, oh, 
people yeah. with disabilities are going to come to this event. Yeah. Let's that's... have somebody with disabilities be part of this planning process. Yeah. Get to Maybe. know people with disabilities. Yeah, you're really blowing my mind right now. Because now you got me thinking, how many people do I know? More than you think. Yeah, that I, yeah, that have a disability, and I'm I'm not, I'm trying to think beyond just like what I noticeable, right? Right. right. And, and and thinking about that, wow. Well, and disability is the thing that you know, like I came late in life to uh, or knowing about my other two disabilities, right? One being um, kind of on the mental health spectrum, and the other right. one um, on an autism spectrum, right? right? And so I was late to that game. Right. Um, and so wouldn't have known how to talk about it even five, 10 years ago. Right. Um, and the other thing about that is that's where a lot of people are. And some people still don't want to talk about their disability. Right. Some people who actually have a disability don't see it as a disability. Right. Right. So there's that whole sense of an internal right. struggle uh, that people have about their own identity. Right. And um, so not everybody's like me coming to talk, you know, about right. all the things that are going on in my life and how right. things can be better or different. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but I think there are plenty of people out there who would love to be included right. in conversations, who would love to be given choice mm -hmm. uh, about how things happen in their life. Right. And that's, you were talking about like what, what can folks do is like, yeah, don't, don't try to talk for somebody. Right. Right? Like, I am not going to speak for you as a black man. Right. Right? I don't know your experience. I don't right. know what your needs or um, um, goals or, you know, feelings are about the way the world works. Right. Or doesn't. Right. But don't talk to me. Don't talk to other people about my experience as a disabled person. Right. You broke down the solidarity piece for us of how somebody like myself could build power um, with someone that may be a part of the disabled community um, to close us out. Could you just one build maybe on that and some terminology and stuff too. And then on some, like some myth busters and then we can take us home. Yeah. So there's a lot of myths out there about people with disabilities. Right. And I think I mentioned some of those before, like number one, um, like you can't work. Right. Right. If you have a disability and particularly within the disability community too, is like, if I, you get social security disability benefits or something like that, mm -hmm. that you can't work, right? Or that you'll lose your benefits. Um, and, you know, without going into a ton of detail, um, social security actually has um, a program, it's called Ticket to Work, that um, allows people to try work if they want to okay. uh, after, the, you know, they um, either become disabled or they're on benefits for the first time. Right. Um, or even if they've had a lifelong disability, if they want to try to work and see if that'll do anything for them. Um, and if so, and they find a career that they want to get involved in, then, you know, um, they can work themselves off benefits right. in some kind of way. But people, uh, both who have a disability and those who don't like, you can't work not mm. only because you're not capable, but also because, you know, social security doesn't allow for that. Right. Um, you know, people with disabilities um, can't have, like, romantic relationships, mm. right? You can't fall in love. You don't have right. the capacity to do that. You can't have sex. Right. You know, those kind of things, um, which is completely untrue. Right. Right? Um, and you may be amazed what, um, and that's probably even not a good way. Um, well, how creative, I guess, is the way I want to say that. How creative people, um, particularly at wheelchair users. Right. 
Uh, not, it's not wheelchair bound. Not wheelchair bound. It's Thank wheelchair you. users. It's wheelchair user because nobody's bound to it. Also has right. this, this uh, connotation of like, you know, there's something wrong with it. Right. I just learned right. that, y'all. So don't, yeah. I, I'm not. Brandon just taught me that. Right. 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 Then <laughs> we we are always learning, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. So yeah, the the thing is that people who are wheelchair users, you know, they can be pretty creative about their sex life. And um, and enjoy it, and so <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like more power to you, man. Yeah, for sure. um, or that people with disabilities can't be just um, like they're all nice, and mm-hmm. you know they you know they're just looking for you know a rosy world and a you know everything's just you know roses and all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you, there are some people with disabilities who are complete assholes. <laughs> They have all the personality traits and characters that people that are not disabled. Right. right. I mean, there's some, you know, well-meaning people out there. They're just like everybody else. And that's the point. Right. There will be people with a disability of all types. And even those that we tend to love, you know, we we seem to have more um, affection for people with Down syndrome and people with um, muscular dystrophy. You know, all Jerry's kids back in the day when we did the telethons. We all believe in that. Yeah. and so it was like, oh, you know, they are so sweet and we just love them. Right. They can be complete shits to people. <laughs> right. Really. And so, um, so yeah, recognizing that, you know, not everybody is, you know, sweet and loving right. and, you know, just the best thing in the world and right. all that kind of stuff. So that's just not the way it is. We're like everybody else. Right. And, um, you know, and so... I think those are some of the big ones. Okay. Um, or, or that we don't enjoy, you know, g- going places or doing right. things. Or, like, people with disabilities don't go to a bar. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or that people with disabilities don't go to concerts. and These places just to make, need to make sure that they have access. That they're, that they're accessible. That they're accessible. And more and, people and with disabilities would go if they yeah. had the access all yeah. the time. And so I think that's also part of the um, the fight is um, it's not just about access, but it's also about seeing the need for right. those kind of things. Um, you know, and, you know, thinking about how I want to, you know, leave this right. conversation um, is that, number one, the conversation continues, and I hope it yeah. does in many different circumstances. Like, yeah. I hope people who hear and see this... Um, start to think about their own biases, their yeah. Own privilege. Yeah. Um, for sure. That, you know, the way they view people with disabilities in their own life, mm-hmm. if they, you know, have, um, family members or friends right. or whatever, but also if you have a disability yourself right? about seeing that as a source of pride and identity, and, right. um, opportunities to, um, really flourish in the world. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't have to be something that's like, Oh, a horrible thing. Yeah. You know, it can be a great thing. Yeah. And so I hope people continue conversations, you know, um, in power, Tennessee, uh, we serve here in Nashville, Davidson County and the other counties that are around us. Um, and, um, you know, we, all types of disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so doesn't matter, um, you know, what you consider your disability to be, if you have more than one, whatever, um, we will work with you and, um, it's really about the goals that you want to have to be more independent, right. 
being more included, having more choice, being um, as independent as you want to be. And sometimes that's not just about living on your own. Right. It's about making the choices of where you want to live, right. who you want to live with, right. who you want to be your support system, right? You making those choices right. and not other people doing it for you. And that's really our work, right? That That's what we want to be about for um, our neighbors uh, and our uh, community. And then to continue having conversations like this so people can know more about who we are and what we're about and be respectful. Brandon, this was amazing. Like, <laughs> this yeah. is like, like, and all my conversations are usually amazing, but I think this one is just uniquely amazing because, again, my own proximity, but I also think, too, just every day, like, I don't, enough people are not thinking about our disabled community members and helping them build and building with them in solidarity and think about in our daily lives, like, could a disabled person that's a wheelchair user enter this space? Or if somebody had, you know, some type of sight impairment could they be able to like navigate this this place or whatnot uh, under these conditions so i thank you for putting it not only on my mind more uh, but hopefully also the the watchers and the listeners and so we can like truly make this world a better equitable place for everyone and also just remembering like disabled folks and community like they're they're just human beings that 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 are great have attitudes <laughs> and all of these other things that we all carry around with us every day so this is amazing and it's and it's and it's again like we shouldn't have to talk about it but we have to talk about it because That's enough right. people are not talking about it right and so i appreciate you um just as giving us your story your journey being vulnerable and then bringing it home with just like like building solidarity with just community as a whole and, and, and recognizing that there is other community out there um, that needs to be recognized more and the most marginalized community and all the intersectionality that goes into that mm-hmm. well, coupled with everything else that that person may identify with being. And so uh, this was powerful. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed I it. I loved it. I this enjoyed so it. so much fun. Um, and I want to bring you back. Yeah. I definitely want to bring you back because I just think like, even just for my own, like just growth, and being these conversations, but also just for the audience, I think we just need to continue these type of things sure. when we talk about social change. So, uh, thank you yeah. uh, thank for you. your time, for your humbleness, for your meekness, just for the, your whole bouquet of flowers to you for all the work that you are doing, have done, and gonna continue to do for the Middle Tennessee area. So, thanks, Brandon, and uh, until next time. All right, thanks so all much. Right.